Hello, and welcome to the 105th episode of the Not Your Mama's Gamer podcast, a podcast where we talk about games and gaming from a feminist perspective. My name is Samantha Blackman, and I'm an associate professor at Purdue University in wonderful West Lafayette, Indiana, where I talk about what... <laughs> Talk about, read about, write about, amongst other things. Video games, video games, video games. And we've got a special episode tonight. So if we sound a little different, uh, it's because several of us are podcasting from the Games Learning and Society Conference uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. So we're working in different environs with different equipment in some cases. That's not the only reason we might sound different tonight. That That's may not true. be. Because you may notice that there is a little more bass in some of our voices tonight. Well, not exactly ours, but we are joined tonight by three... Dudes! <laughs> <laughs> three guests <clears throat> who are going to talk with us as we talk about a very important topic tonight. So um, we are joined tonight by, I'm going to go in the order that I see folks, Cody Reimer, um, Alex Lane, Alicia Carabinitz, Charlotte Hyde, Patrick Lum, Terry Babb, and of course myself. So I am going to ask that folks go ahead and introduce themselves. And we will start with you, Cody. I like that your first move is to mute one of the guests that we put on here. <laughs> it's necessary. I'm muting all the people. Cody, go ahead. Sorry about that. Uh, I am a newly minted PhD uh, wheel uh, from Purdue's uh, RetComp program. Uh, and I currently have a position that I'll be starting in the fall at University of Wisconsin Stout in the... Uh, professional Communication and Emerging Media Program. Yay! Jobs. Uh, I'm Alex Lane. You know me. I'm an assistant professor at Metro State studying video games and gender in the industry. Um, I'm all, we are at the GLS conference right now in Madison. It's been amazing. Um, we've had bad luck with food tonight, but other than that, You've had bad luck with food all day. <laughs> I, I did have bad luck with food all day, but the, the dinner was not good until we went to the, our uh, hotel restaurant, and it was inedible. inedible. Uh, what's the point of Wisconsin if the food is bad? Yeah. It had been good, but it just it took a turn. It took a turn. So. The beer and wine and other beverages. And, and, the, and the cheese curds have all been amazing. I would like to say that Charlotte and I bonded over this conference. Did we not, Charlotte? Oh, we did. I'm very, very upset that I did not uh, notice it was happening this year. So, so next year, we'll have to make sure you do back here. Yeah, I definitely need to come back next year. I was the wing woman, and we played Limbo for the. Uh, yes. I was, yeah. And I drank all the Spotted Cow, I think, in the entire city. Yes, you did. <laughs> they had a better one this year than Spotted Cow. It was yeah, the. Totally, yeah. the one totally naked, yeah. Like Spotted wow. Cow's delicious sister. Was it? Was it? It was. It wasn't the two sisters or whatever. The two. No, it's a. It's a. A, a Glarus. It's a. But it's a. Yeah. All right, Alicia. I am Alicia Carabinas, and where Cody is a newly minted PhD, I'm a newly interning PhD student at Purdue in the RecCon program. I'm also. Uh, currently, the managing editor of Not Your Mama's Gamer, and uh, the meanest person around. Absolutely. That's true. 
all true. Charlotte? I am a doctoral candidate at Purdue University, and I am the resident Lego scholar. Hey, Patrick? Uh, I'm Patrick Love. I am a PhD student at Purdue's RetComp program. I think you mean Study. Pokemon Master. I am also a Pokemon Master, yes. I got my proof right here. <laughs> right there. Um, I study, hey, guess what? I'm a Pokemon Master. Uh, I'm interested in games, of course, mostly highly skilled gaming, things like eSports, speed running, and also social justice, the overlaps thereof. So that's me. So you just lost all your nerd cred when you said right. social justice. You're a social justice warrior? What the hell is that? Wow. Jeez. I played a long game. <laughs> yeah. Turns out we need social justice. Oh. <laughs> and Terry. You have to unmute him. Unmute him? <laughs> no, he has to unmute himself. <laughs> I can only mute. I cannot unmute. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Maybe he went away. <laughs> he was not over there, I think. <laughs> there we go. Spoiler. Terry uh. is my husband. <laughs> I'm, my out. I'm Terrence Babb, and I am the odd person out. I am an undergrad in the engineering department at Purdue, and I don't know, I fell over. Aww. Everybody look away. Okay. Oh, I fell over again. Um, I'm in multidisciplinary engineering and I'm studying a degree that I made up myself called sustainable systems design where uh, I'm going to build net zero houses. Awesome. That is awesome. Wow. And then of course there's me. So we're going to do our usual and we're going to jump in and do uh, <laughs> uh, like what we're going to do is what you're playing, what you're reading, what you're drinking uh, and then we're going to jump into our um, Issue of the week. Uh, we're going to have a kind of an abbreviated, well, not abbreviated, but we're going to skip some of the things that we normally do uh, this week because we've got a pretty large cast and we want to make sure everybody has the opportunity to say the things that they want to. So we're going to have an abbreviated news section. Um, And creepy doll sounds. Oh. <laughs> it's not her actual baby, FYI. Oh. That's uh, even oh, the dog keeps getting more. Oh, even boy. better. Um, ah, oh, well. Abbreviated news section. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, no indie game of the week. So let's go ahead and get started. And we will start with uh, Cody. What, you, what have you been playing this week, Cody? Um, this week I've been playing Hearthstone, I've been playing at the conference some Mortal Kombat 10, and uh, also Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup, which is a mod, community-supported, open-source, free-to-play roguelike, which is phenomenal. Cool. Yay. What about you, Alex Lane? What you been playing, darling? Uh, let's see, so I started the new uh, Hearthstone change there. I haven't played Hearthstone in a long time. They changed their uh, brawl system, which, is, which has made it way more fun for me again. Uh, so I've been playing that. I've been playing Lego Jurassic. Um, I've been playing Don't Start Together. And, oh, uh, there's one new one that I wrote down that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but also checking out new stuff here at GLS. Um, I'm not going to have an indie game of the week this week, but 
we played like a cool um, role-playing British invade British uh, Revolutionary War game today. So that was that was sort of interesting. It was like Operation Sabotage Stanwicks, Fort, Fort Stanwicks. Um, so that was weird. But that's what I've been playing. Uh, Alicia, what about you, Donna? Uh, mostly I've been playing Her Story. Uh-huh. Obviously I've been writing about it a lot. And Fallout Shelter, uh, which is Sam and Terry's fault. I hate you both. Thank you. Playing some Elder Scrolls Online, which is exactly as bad as you've heard. Uh, and of course State of Decay, because why would I ever stop? <laughs> Good questions. Charlotte? Uh, so yeah, I played uh, Lego Jurassic World, actual Legos, and I guess I played uh, Don't Starve Together with Alex. I think that's it, though. I want to play some Don't Starve Together. Um, Patrick, what about you, darling? What you playing? I'm pretty much playing Hearthstone nonstop at this point. Any free time I get goes to that. I'm pushing for Legend, um, so here's open. Cross your fingers. I also, uh, that's not true, I've been playing Super Mario World in your spare time, so... Nothing really exciting there, but, you know, lots of gaming going on. Cool. Right on. Terry, what about you? Uh, pretty much the same things since, you know, we live in the same place. Uh, <laughs> less state of decay, though. Uh, also, uh, let's see, ESO. Uh, I play Hearthstone, too, sometimes, when I'm supposed to be working. Uh, Fallout Shelter. Uh, and Terraria, which she hates. Please try to convince me to get him to call it Hearthstone. Do what? Do what? Try to convince me to get him to say Hearthstone. He will listen to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so I guess it's my turn. Uh, what have I been playing? Um, I played some Super Mario 3D Land on the 3DS, um, some Super Mario Brothers 2 on the 3DS. Uh, I've also been playing. Oh, I start. I downloaded and started playing Alpha Bears like yesterday um, on my phone. Um, we play some some Mortal Kombat 10 here at the conference. Um, that was pretty fun, actually. That was a lot of fun. It was more <laughs> fun than I wanted it to be. Yeah. I was like, ooh, what horrible racial stereotype am I gonna play next? Yeah. Everyone, everyone, everyone. Mm. It was wonderful. Has corros and like a shotgun. The Native yeah. American guys got like this full feathers and like a bow. It's yeah, it's yeah. It, it's there's tribal. There, there's everything equally offensive. All of it, yeah. Um, and I have also played um, a little bit of State of Decay before we left because I didn't want to it's not going to help but I was like I don't want everybody to come back there's no food and everybody's dead (laughs) (laughs) and uh, something else one more thing oh (laughs) I gotta admit it I've been playing a whole lot of Viva Pinata (laughs) yeah you should see my garden man I got like 50 I'm sure different pinatas. Sex going on in it. Yes, as Alex likes to say, there's lots of creepy pinata sex going on. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no. All right. Oh no. We'll do this the easy way. Anybody reading anything interesting? 
I've been busy working. Yes, me too. I tried to buy a book at the conference today. There was one that I'd heard several people mention while we were here, and I went to the like little bookseller that was able to buy it. And they were like, well, you have to order this one, and then they'll ship it to you. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> so, oh well. Anybody else read anything good? I've been moving, so I haven't like read a whole lot. But I remember I found this guy. Which I, I ordered a while ago and haven't had just pick up yet. Oh, it's cool! Like, it's a uh, like a, a short uh, print book. You can't buy it new anymore, so I had to get it used on Amazon. But it's uh, got a bunch of articles by um, like role play Gary Gygax. But the, the big reason I got it is that it has the Richard Garfield article in here, like on metagaming, where he breaks down all the the different elements of it. So. And what is that? What's the title of that one, Patrick? That you didn't tell us. Horseman of the Horse, Apocalypse. Sorry, Horseman of the Apocalypse: Essays on Role Play. Nice. You should it let your friends genius. borrow that sometime. Maybe if they're nice, then I will. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, there goes that. Books that you got lent, and you wouldn't feel so uncomfortable about lending other people books, Patrick. What have I not? Wait. What have I not let? Have I not given we you something? We can hash that out later. Alright. What about drinking? Who's drinking what? Let's start with uh Wait, everybody raise your hand if you're drinking summer shandy. Me. I'm not actually drinking summer shandy. Oh. Okay. Shit. Charlotte. I am drinking grapefruit shandy. (laughs) Alright, and uh Cody, what's that you're drinking, darling? Not your father's root beer, an alcoholic root beer beverage. Not your father's root beer. That is very appropriate, Cody. That is very appropriate. Uh, What about you, Alex Lane? Are you drinking something? Uh, Yep, I just uh, switched to some scotch. Hello, gummy bears. No, no gummy bears tonight, unfortunately. So we know that Alicia's drinking a summer shandy and Charlotte's drinking a grapefruit shandy. Patrick, what are you drinking, honey? I'm just drinking water. I gotta, uh, <laughs> yeah. I gotta drive to New Jersey tomorrow morning. I gotta, gotta get up early and drive a bunch. I gotta so. teach at eight thirty in the morning. Well, fair I enough. Gotta, I gotta go to a conference and present and stuff tomorrow. Oh, that's right. I'm not drinking though right now because we. Uh, it, the, one one of the wonderful things about this conference is there's lots of free beer and wine. So I've been drinking lots of great local craft beers, um, and I have I forgot to grab a drink when I headed down to the hotel meeting room to have a quiet place to to record tonight. So I have nothing, literally nothing to drink. You need a drink delivery service, and my husband needs to turn off the camera so we stop seeing the wall my daughter drew on. And I'm saying that never. If anybody's at GLS and can save Sam from this situation, let's let's do that. <laughs> Maybe we should tweet. <laughs> Sam, you should tweet it. Someone bring me a drink. That's <laughs> what you That could be dangerous. The liquor store is here actually closed in twenty minutes, so Yeah, they close at nine here. Alright. So that was the end of which playing which reason what you drink it. So let's go ahead and jump into what little news we do have. And we have one news item. (laughs) It's us. It's us. 
Alicia, tell us tell us all about the news as you were our resident news person. Oh well, really, you should be the one. But okay, I'll I'll, I'll do it this once. We are starting a project, a big, ambitious project called Invisibility Blues, a critical video series analyzing race in games. Uh, a question, an issue, a topic that is close to many of our hearts. And we're on Kickstarter. Because we need stuff, games, equipment, time, all the things. And we're not asking for a lot, but we do need some help. So if you feel like checking it out, you like what we do, you support us if you're listening, gosh, I hope you do, uh, then please feel like mm, tweeting a link, sharing, kicking in some cash, talking about it, having a conversation with us, whatever you want to do to support us, that would be great. Yeah, that's the important thing. We will take whatever you have to offer. <laughs> Cash, time, connections. Not babies. Not babies. Not babies or puppies. No puppies. Not anything else. I didn't give me my puppy anyway. <laughs> She's so cute though. You can't touch her. Alright, so that's the news. And let's talk about tonight's issue, which is complicated. Tell us all about it, Alicia. Well, what we're discussing tonight is multi-pronged. We are primarily discussing the ideas of critique, how we come to it, how we accept it, how we engage with it, how we separate critique from attack, and how our privilege, whatever we have, affects the way we respond to, engage with, react to, whatever, critique. There's a lot of sub-issues that go along with that. We may be talking a little bit about the G word at some point. Games? <laughs> oh, that one too. I hope that's it. That's the one I came up with. <clears throat> All right. So that's why we have so many men on the episode tonight. Yeah, I, well, for a good reason, right? Because, you know, we, we thought it would be a good opportunity for us to talk with folks that are outside of our normal affinity group about, about uh, you know, critique and the problems that we seem to have and run into when we're talking with folks about critique and to ultimately try to get to some kind of thoughts, shall we say, um, in terms of how we might better engage a broader swath of the gaming community, right? Yes. Yes. I'm like, somebody agree with me. Yes. <laughs> yes. The so, question is, who wants to go ahead jump in and start? Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because we've all been having these wonderful conversations outside of this podcast about this very specific topic. Um, Cody and I threw beer at each other today in the uh, Rathskeller in the Memorial Union. Um, I'm kidding. We didn't really. But we had a good conversation as well. So who wants to start? Anybody in particular with um, their thoughts? Well, husband and I have been pre-gaming discussion about this too. So uh, how about then we look at Patrick, who was unprepared <laughs> and been woeful. <laughs> Patrick, tell us all the ways in which you're privileged and therefore suck. 
Oh, that is so mean. Challenge accepted. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, we just want to start talking about start talking about critique, and, and like how our identities influence our critiques or how they're received. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things that we've talked about and thought about a lot, right? We get yeah. we we catch a lot of flack um, on our critiques. Right, because we are coming from very specific subject positions, um, and so what happens then is that um, people seem to get angry at our subject positions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and we think it's we think right as we start to think through it and try to rationalize it is because they're coming from very different subject positions, um, and we wonder kind of. One, why that is. Um, two, you know, what we can do to kind of open up a dialogue um, between folks of different affinity groups um, without having one or the other getting terribly offended uh, and thus angry and sometimes violent <laughs> um, toward the other. Because that's what we run into a lot, I think. In fact, uh, it's something that a lot of us have seen over and over again is this idea that if we say X about games it also means X about people who appreciate those games right which is not usually the case we all have to exercise some kind of cognitive dissonance when we play games because you know everybody's favorite is problematic right uh, yeah. And recognizing that doesn't mean, you know, that you're a terrible person because you like that. It just means everybody has a different threshold for things they'll tolerate. Right, and we've talked about exactly that a number of times before, right? The thresholds and how much you can take before a thing becomes intolerable. Everybody's very quiet tonight. This is a difficult topic. Well, I can speak for myself. Uh, but I'm not sure, like, where to start on it. I'd be interested to know what y'all that have pre, like, you know, kind of pre-hashed this topic have, have got maybe to use as a base, um, you know, because I know why I, uh, why I make the critiques I make now, why I'm in this field has a lot to do with privilege, my privilege that I knew I would, I, I was easily accepted. I didn't know I'd be accepted, but I was easily accepted as a white man in game studies. Um, and... You know, that made it very easy for me to join the gaming community and to join the game studies community. Um, but, you know, I'm more familiar now with why I appreciate critiques from non-white men, uh, mostly because I, as a gamer, like challenge, and I like things that push me to new realms in gaming and things that um, challenge me to think about a game in a new way. Um, you know, and that came about, I think, a lot through individual experiences I've had. Um, so I'm interested to know what other people think about the topic, too. Um, well, here's a question. Has it always been that way for you? Um, you say you, you, appreciate the, you appreciate the challenge. Has it always been that way for you, or did, is this something that you came, came to later? I've always appreciated the challenge, but my definition of challenge has changed. So, you know, as someone that plays a lot of, you know, the, the trophy I showed you is for playing uh, competitive Pokemon cards, and I played competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, not so much Magic, but, you know, so I like challenge, and I like challenge that moves me out of my comfort zone because 
um, without going into much of the theory of card game players, um, there's different kinds. Some of them like to just play. Some of them like to complete ideas. And some of them like to be the best or win or approach being the best. And I've always been one of the ones that likes to approach being the best. Um, and so that means going out of your way to find things that challenge your um, idea of how things should be done or are done because that's the only way you're going to grow um, out of them or towards more rewarding strategies. Um, so you know, if you put it on that kind of pragmatic level, it loses some of its humanity, but that's how I, part of how I grew and um, how I became interested in social justice critiques or critiques that are associated with social justice uh, was because as a gamer, I, I mean, the other games I played are like Zelda games. Um, and so what I learned from those games is that when there's a problem, when people are in trouble, you help them. If that means gathering 15 radishes for them, then so be it. Or if that means, you know, like finding a dragon and killing it, then so be it. Um, so that's kind of what I learned from games itself. From studying games, I learned that the way you do that is by participating and empowering people to overcome problems themselves. So by helping people, other people do better at games, by not keeping all the information and power for yourself, by spreading it to other people or helping them get access to it, which is why I'm interested in social justice now in general, because that to me is the pursuit of social justice. It's opening up and helping people get access to uh, the means to overcome uh, problems in their lives or systematic uh, disadvantages that they have. So that's kind of how my idea of challenges changed. You know, it used to be what challenges me. Now it's kind of what challenges people that I care about. Yeah. Interesting. What about anyone else? Patrick is just like a really nice guy. That's your right. question, Terry. <laughs> yeah. I don't know I'm like, I don't know if we got the right guy on here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, because it comes out of that, like, that drive to be the best, right? For me, it comes out of the drive to be the best. And so you have to be, like, the best social justice warrior? No, I, I mean, like... <laughs> There's, there's a realization in the pursuit of trying to be the best that, like, when you're the best alone, it doesn't really mean as much, you know? Like, it's yeah. not, there's no, there's no end game content to that, you know? You just kind of sit there and you're like, well, I'm the best. best. Yeah, I'm the best. <laughs> now what? There's nothing left to do. So, you know, you move on to something else. But I guess the question is, and I don't know if you're the right guy. That's why I say you're not the right guy. But I guess the question is, when, when somebody outside of your... Um, privilege, I guess, as a white male, critiques a game that you like, does that make you uncomfortable? No. Um, I, just, I just find it really interesting because I know that I know that game really well, um, and I, I can understand what they're talking about easier because I can think back to my experiences of it. Um, that's why I like to read criticism of games that I know and love really well mm -hmm. um, because it helps me think about it in a new way. I can re-enjoy that thing I love so much or reconsider it or rethink it and you know, make my enjoyment of it more complex or learn something about myself or why I like that game that I didn't know before. But yeah, um, but as Charlotte was saying, since, since you're a scholar, you may not be the best person to answer that question because you're used to doing that kind of work and re-engaging and rethinking uh, your position. But you know what? I think he really is because if this gives us a chance to kind of get at a question that or topic that I've had discussed even today with two different people. Um, both men, 
and, and that's a question or the question about what is the role of an ally, mm -hmm. right? Because we have a very specific task in front of us as um, women, as scholars, as feminists, um, and I'm talking when I say we here, I'm talking just about the women of Not Your Mama's Gamer. But so, but that task extends beyond just us once we go past Not Your Mama's Gamer, and it does include allies as well, right? Um, so those are not always going to be women, not always going to be, uh, not always consider themselves feminists. Um, and we don't know exactly what those allies are going to look like from time to time. And, and so we, we've been talking a bit about the role of allies, right? Um, so, and I think that some, if not all, <laughs> of, the, of the guests that we have on the show tonight will consider themselves allies. Um, and so I, I want to put people on the spot and say, what do you consider yourself an ally? And what do you see as being your role as an ally? That's a good question. So that, this was something that you and I talked about, Sam. Mm -hmm. um, I consider myself an ally because I think that you know, it's the moral and ethical thing to do to make sure people don't get chased out of a community just for being of a particular race, gender, sexual orientation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so on. Um, the role of the ally, this was where I, like, you know hedged a lot and like look to you furtively. Um, <laughs> I think the metaphor I used to like question whether how I thought about it was okay or not was a mix between um, mansplaining and white knighting mm -hmm. because I, I felt like if you and I were saying the exact same thing to a hostile audience um, because I'm you know I, and I, I try to be acutely, painfully aware of my privilege, um, you know, as, as, a, as a white man, as the colorless, neutral norm, scare quotes, I don't think showed up on camera there, um, you know, because I am comfortable for them, I am not unfamiliar, I could say it aggressively, you could say it placidly, and I'd still be okay, mm -hmm. and they would engage with me more calmly mm -hmm. than you. And so I was wondering, mm -hmm. I was wondering if my role as an ally could be to not be the face of the message, but to just help forward that message from a different, more comfortable vantage point, right? Like, and and you had a really interesting response to that that made me think about it in a way that I felt like I was kind of near. Uh, appreciating but couldn't articulate in the way that you did. Don't, I have a response to that. Don't don't share it yet. I want to hear what the I want to hear what everybody else has to say. What about you, Terry? Over there, muted. <laughs> we had talked about something about a little or a little about this in the kitchen earlier about. Uh, I mean, not necessarily presenting being presented as the and the face, but um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> if you if you target like people that that have already supported you, you're you're not really you're not going to move anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you kind of need to 
to build into and incorporate as many as many white men as you can because I mean look at the civil rights movement mm -hmm. I mean you had all these very, these strong black personalities but ultimately it was the white individuals in Congress that enacted all the laws and so this is I don't know it, it's not right but it's a reality that this might be what you need to break further into you know the the whole industry and whatnot. But that's the question: is how do we get to the people who don't want to listen? And that's a lot of people. A lot of them, in fact, are white men. Yeah. Well, and, th and th this is interesting. Like I said, because I had this conversation with Cody, and then I had this conversation again uh, with a, a very nice guy. Um, he's a professor at Sag was it Saginaw Valley, Saginaw Valley State. Um, and, and so let me let me throw this out there. And I let me start by saying I agree. We need allies. We need allies. We need to work together. Um, just just as the the feminist movement needs um, needs men as well as women. Um, the the equality movement in terms of race needs people of the majority as well as people of the minority. We need to work together to show people one to demonstrate right that we can work together. Um, and two, because they're strength in numbers. That being said, I also also say very specifically, I don't want to, in my mind, forefront the role of the ally too much. Right. That's what I, that was my initial response to Cody, if I may. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was funny because I had like a two-layered response to Cody. The first one was, yeah, what he's saying makes sense because people like Cody might be more inclined to listen to Cody because Cody can get in their face, whereas I. Even just the way I naturally talk, I'm considered confrontational. Yeah. I'm forceful, and I believe in what I say. But also, underneath that, I had a visceral reaction to, the fuck you're going to speak for me? No. Um, but sometimes there is a need for that. But we can't give all of that power up, because then what are we fighting for? Right. Well, I mean, and that goes back to, to what I what I was saying earlier when, we, when Cody and I were talking about it, and, and the the reason behind me not wanting to forefront the ally too much is because we've seen this before historically. At the mm -hmm. moment that we forefront the ally too much, and the ally becomes too much of a voice for us, not even not even saying that the ally speaks for us solely, but even if we get to the point where the ally is the one who must introduce us and bring us in so that we are acceptable, that feels too much like fucking letters of authentication in front of a slave narrative. I have met this woman. I have met this Negro. I have met this, this Hispanic person. And yeah, they're not too stupid for us to deal with. So it's okay to talk to them because this is a good Negro or this is a good woman. And that feels way too problematic for me. So I think that we need to think about the roles that allies take, scale them back a little bit so that we're working in conjunction with one another and one that the ally does not forefront us. If anyone is ever in the forefront, it needs to be the people who are fighting very specifically for and directly involved and directly affected by that movement. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you want to use them as an endorsement, not as, you know, a face. I don't want to use them as an endorsement. 
because the endorsement yeah. part is what becomes problematic in and of itself. I don't, I don't want to be, I don't ever want to be endorsed by a white man or a white woman, right? I, I want someone to say we can work together, or I work with this person, but not, I work with this person, and because I am X and they are not, you should listen to me. I and it want, just becomes a rubber stamp, like you can't stand on your own. Like nobody's right. gonna listen to me unless a white man comes up behind me and is like, "Yeah, she's right." Yeah. Well, that's not what I meant by endorsement. I just meant, you know, like I like this person. Yeah. When you favor a tweet, you endorse it. I mean. Yeah. Or you know, yeah, like a person can say, "I mean, I'm in agreement with this." Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I, what we do with, with the right. signal because I say this is right, then here you go. Now introducing this person. Now listen, you have to because I said so. That's not what I meant. Yeah. Well, the problem is Terry is that you're an engineer in a sea of of, of scholars who yeah. study words. But see, <laughs> I, I something else that we had talked to also talked about in the past is that not everything is explained to laymen like myself. Yeah. That come in in the middle of an argument. And so they have to choose a side based on essentially, you know, tweets and blurbs. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the language that's, you know, not specifically directed at um, different, different diversity movements, mm -hmm. they, the sound bites that, like, gators and other organizations spout out are, you know, initially on the surface can be attractive. To someone that is not, you know, aware of what's actually going on. Yes. I want to. I want to agree with that and add that I feel like you know, especially I, I followed one of the kind of uh, back and forths between Alicia and uh, some. I don't know if he self-identified as a gamer gator, somebody who was trying to have a somewhat civil, near academic like debate on Twitter. And I, I'm thinking like, you're not. This is so wrong. Like, this is not the medium that you can say. What are your sources? Why don't you write me a you know, a well thought out rebuttal with citations like this is, and poorly for everybody. Um, <laughs> and that's but that's the that's like the and I had I hesitate to say battleground because that makes it sound so. Marshall, but that's where the discussion is largely taking place, and between that and so many of like the the kind of rage faces and memes that uh, gamer gators use, it it's really easy to cast social justice warriors and people trying to do ethical work as a straw man. Like, yeah. look at this mm -hmm. like silly you know false dichotomy that makes us look good and them look dumb even though that's not really what they're saying there's a complete lack of nuance but because it's in a you know an easily digestible format anybody who's not familiar with the nuance not familiar with the context not familiar with all of the backstory is going to see that and go oh yeah that makes sense i guess i'm a gamer you know a uh, a uh, you know game gator or whatever the fuck you know, <laughs> you know it's very good the, like, the of discourse for the discussion yeah. are all not conducive to all the nuance that we need to make our point clear that to make our point clear I'll leave it at that well you know it's funny that you bring up me on Twitter uh, where I can often be found 
arguing with people. I have tried really hard in the recent months to uh, reduce the anger quotient of my Twitter engagement mm -hmm. um, because it it doesn't help to meet rage with rage. That's what I've discovered. And I watch a lot of people who are doing ostensibly the same thing I'm doing, going out and trying to talk to people and trying to engage people and trying to make points. But when they meet mockery with mockery, it doesn't go anywhere. It goes in circles. So I've tried more and more to talk and engage with people who are at least willing to talk and engage with me. I won't engage with assholes. Um, PSA, uh, if you're thinking about it. Uh, but... It helps a little bit, but it's still, it still doesn't get anywhere, and I think that's a lot of it. For one, there's no nuance, there's no context, there's not a lot of backup that you can provide, but also I've noticed that people on Twitter aren't there to listen. Well, um, what? I don't want to blanket, I don't want to say that <laughs> blanketly, but... Some are. Right, yes. I think that, and we've had we've had these encounters before. We've had encounters with people on Twitter. We've had encounters to people with people on the blog who, at first blush, seem to be coming there with the express intent of arguing and proving us wrong, right? But and the re and this is the reason that we do specifically say we're not going to say we're we're not we will engage with you if you disagree with us as long as you're not disrespectful or violent or threatening or any of these other horrible things we'll still engage with you is because we've had real conversations with folks that we disagree with and that's the important thing is we've got to stay at that place where we are willing to have open discussions with people who are not who are not in our wheelhouse. And I'm not just talking about you, darling. I'm talking about period. No, I'm agreeing with you <laughs> that, that I love debate and discussion, and I want that. I crave it. Uh, but it's getting harder to find. Yeah, it does feel like that. It does feel like that. It, it, it feels like that. It feels like for in many ways it's ramping up. And it's, it's really interesting because we were talking about this at dinner tonight is that one of the keynoters today, um, and I'm going to call him out and say who it was, is Jim G was talking at, at the lunch rant, um, was saying that the, he feels that the reason that um, that things are ramping up um, in the game space is because um, the side that has been labeled most, most conveniently and comfortably Gamergate um, recognizes that in essence they have lost and this is kind of a last-ditch effort on their part to kind of beg and claw uh, claw their way up or out or save themselves uh, which is interesting because I know we talked about that and and um, whether or not we agreed with him <laughs> or not um, in this case, and and, and I wonder because it does feel like things are escalating um, in some at some points and in, in some ways. Um, and the question is is why this escalation as well, right? And and that's a big question. But then the the question that sits at the root of all this is not is what do we do about it? Not what do we do about it in terms of the escalation, 
But what do we do about it in terms of opening up and having a conversation? Like Terry said, we've, we've, we've got a group of folks who we're not reaching for whatever reason, right? Is it, and it's, and, and I don't know why, right? Because I understand what was how some people may say we're not reaching lay people because we come from a very educationally privileged background and we're right. talking, we're speaking as scholars, but there are people who are not as educationally privileged as we are, who are right, who are writing and or podcasting and or speaking just as kind of, you know, everyday folks, right? Who are also finding themselves in these same situations. So, you know, what's that happy medium point at which a conversation can take place? And that's, I think that's linked to this idea of the attack or the threat. We have to figure out where the line is and where our critique becomes a threat. Because the way I look at it, when I write anything, if I say, I don't know, I find this game really sexist, the game still exists. The game can still be purchased. I have never once said, no one should buy that game. I have only said, for me, for these reasons, mm -hmm. I felt that was some shit. <laughs> but somehow when it hits certain ears, it becomes, this game is bad. I am bad if I like it. She wants to ban it. It's threatening my way of life somehow. Right. And I don't, that's the, the gulf that, that I face when I look at the work that I do and the impact it's having or not is how do I find the right way to say what I want to say without having that impact. Can I change what I say or is there nothing I can do? And I guess that's where we maybe can turn it back over to the, the gentlemen of the group. I, I, I can just say that, I mean, games are competitive in nature. Even games that aren't multiplayer or co-op are still competitive now because mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. the achievement system and everything else that we have. And so for the community at large, if it's a game, there's a winner and there's a loser. Yeah. And if you're criticizing a game, then you must be calling that game a loser. I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can say something is bad without you know, getting this kind of response in a movie. You can say the same thing in a book mm -hmm. and, and people don't, you know, get all up in arms for the most part unless it's like a crazy cult movie. You know, that's but, a great point, Terry. But games themselves have one giant cult, I guess. And it just, He said it, not us. It's super... It just creates a hostile, hostile environment from the get-go, just like in sports. You know, you get those crazy people that, that love a team, and if you say, well, you didn't do very good this season, you might as well just be, you know, pissing on a coaster of Manchester United because you're going to get mobbed <laughs> in the streets. <laughs> and all you said was, you know, sucks for you guys. Yeah. And it has that, that same kind of vibe to it, I guess. Yeah, I think you're right that, that the broader community tends to see it in terms of winning and losing. Um, I also think that um, nerd culture, you know, as a as a, a body that sees itself like a body of people that sees itself oppressed, um, 
tends to be, you know, very interested in solitary pursuits of perfection, which is why games are so popular, right? You can be the best at it. Um, and that people, when you're in that mindset, you want to seek out comfort, right? You want to eliminate discomfort because you want to find a space to feel safe and comfortable. And I think that that's part of why they get so defensive because they see this potential discomfort, like moving in on this zone of comfort they've created. And I think that, you know, when you try to eliminate discomfort from your life, you're really just, you know, you're, you're, you're um, causing more discomfort for yourself because you're making yourself more sensitive to small disturbances or small disruptions or whatever you want to call it. Things that aren't even really disruptions, things that don't actually affect you because you, you know, have made your safety so such a priority. So I don't know if there's, if, I don't know if there's really a solution there, but you know, maybe there's something about seeing the long term of this. Like, what does this kind of sensitivity do to us? Like, do to games um, on their part? You know, it, it stops it from changing. And, you know, and when the market doesn't change and evolve, it dies. Like, we need new gamers. We need new people to play games, or otherwise, you know, we won't have an industry in 30 years because we'll be making the same thing for the same people who are not going to be buying games forever. Yes. Yeah, I think I think. That's interesting is to think about it in terms of the competitive nature. I mean, because we've often thought about that in terms of when we think about other sports, right, is, you know, we say, okay, so you have this athlete that you pay, you know, a gazillion dollars a year to go onto a field and beat the shit out of other people, right? So you attract a very specific kind of player who is willing to go onto a field and beat the living shit out of mm -hmm. a bunch of other people. But then when that person loses control and beats the shit out of a bunch of other people outside of that arena, right, that contained acceptable space, people act shocked. <laughs> right? I mean, and, and I wonder if, if here we're dealing with the same kind of thing. Like, like Terry said, I think it's, it's because games are so competitive. Um, and, and I know that there are some folks on this podcast who have gotten a little antsy about um, games because they're really competitive. Who I don't know who you're talking about, what? Charlotte. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think it's she's talking about me. <laughs> yes. It's not me. I think there are lots of folks that are like that, right? I don't know about that connection. So you're saying because you participate in a competitive sport, you're going to go, like, punch your girlfriend in an elevator? No, that's not what I'm saying. I say, we, I, I did not say that at all. I do, not, I do not think that is the case, and I am not talking about all athletes. I am saying that, that certain sports that are very violent – can attract a specific kind of athlete, right? Because you have to find someone who is willing to do the things that these specific athletes do. So it, it shouldn't be a surprise when some of the athletes that fall within those categories do go off the range and beat their shit out of girlfriends in, in, in elevators. But I'm not, not in any way, shape, or form saying all. Yeah. To do something like that, for the most part, you have to enjoy it. Yeah. And so if you enjoy it in 
the you know athletic space, the arena, you also enjoy it out of it. And Terry does speak as a former athlete, so I mean now he's old, so <laughs> but he does have that perspective to bring to that discussion. The the connection then is competitive gamers attracted a particular type of player that we shouldn't be surprised at when they're I'm sorry. Well, we're talking about sports, not not well, the game. I think I think it. Well, it Sam, it, yeah, it was an analogy that Sam had. Yeah. Game, so. I, I think the connection the connection for me is is if we think about it, not not to say that it's justified and justifiable, but it in the same way that it makes sense that you get people with a propensity toward violence in violent sports, you get a people with a propensity toward competitiveness in games and gaming because it is a competitive activity. And some people don't know how to channel that competitiveness. And I think that that is what we find ourselves bumping up against. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that mm -hmm. might be part of it, but I think perhaps a, a maybe bigger part is that gamers, at least from what I've read of like the pro gamer gate, you know, testimonials that aren't, you know, death and rape threats. Mm -hmm. The ones who are like, I'm all against violence against women, but here's why I'm a, I'm a gamer gator kind of stuff is like, you know, this narrative of I was oppressed and I was, you know, bullied and gaming is where I felt comfortable and therefore now, you know, people are coming after that, so I'm going to circle the wagons around this without realizing that what they're circling the wagons around is only comfortable to them because they self-identify with it as either a white male or a, or a male, and what they're circling their wagons around wasn't as easily self-identifiable for people of color or different genders or sexuality or whatnot, um, and at the same time not necessarily realizing or turning a blind eye to the fact that they're circling their wagons around a bunch of crazy fanatics with, like, AK, you know, 47s who are firing rifles through the wagons at, you know, all of these people walking by or, like, trying to, you know, talk to them with megaphones who are being barraged with, you know, uh, you know, bullets through Twitter rape threats and I own a K-bar and here's your address and I'm going to come kill you kind of, I, you know, malarkey. I don't want to. I don't want to jump on what you're saying because I think that there's some really interesting things that interesting points that you're making. But I really want to take a breath in this and try to caution everybody against this kind of us v them rhetoric. Uh, because for one thing, I, I don't think it's accurate. I think that GamerGate sees a GamerGate versus anti-GamerGate, but anti-GamerGate is just everyone else. Right. Doing all their own different things, uh, just doing the work that we're doing. So mm -hmm. uh, I don't really feel comfortable putting forth this us be them rhetoric. So I want to, I want to, I want to not other them too much. But all the crazy tumbleristas and SJWs versus all of them, and that they're. <laughs> Right? You don't think that they're thinking about it like the exact well, they can think. Way a, they think a lot of things. Uh, if they if they're really dedicated supporters of GamerGate, they may think a lot of things. I don't know. I just uh... yeah, I agree. it's not necessarily productive to think of it that way. Like you know, 
the, the conclusions we can come to from that will only take us so far. And it's hard it's hard to, to not think of it that way because it feels like the lines have been drawn that way. But there are things that I don't there are things that I would have agreed with if it wasn't for all the rest of the rhetoric that got wrapped up in it. Uh, well, one, I, I have a problem with use with that problematic use of the word rhetoric, but that's a whole other story. Okay. <laughs> yes, I agree. First that's off, fine. First I'm, off, I'm the noob, so. Um, first off, I, I think I don't think we're, we're we're necessarily positing it as an us versus them. I think what we were trying to do is come to an understanding of where where aggression comes from in these circumstances, and 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 as I said. There are people on this podcast who are very competitive, yeah. right? And I think that we are drawn to games because we are competitive. Um, so I'm not positing it as an us versus them. I thought I it was distinctly not an us versus them. Yeah, I thought I, that and that's exactly no, what I, I didn't think you were really at all. I mean, the narrative of not being us versus them, I, I felt like. Yeah. Right. No, it's just when we start talking about Gamergate this and Gamergate that and fanatics and then it, it starts to feel like lines are being drawn to me. But I, I felt like that was the whole point is there was all these myriad of people who don't identify with the fanatics who kind of get caught in this, Right. well I don't know where I fall. I thought that was, yeah. Right. And, and I, was that, I think that was that Terry who said that? I don't, I don't know exactly where I fall. I don't fall over here so I must fall over there. Because they do see it as yeah. being a, they do see it as being a dichotomy and I think the very point is, is it's not. Right? right, we all have certain attributes and traits, and that is a very important thing. I mean, I'm drawn to gaming. Why? Because I'm super competitive. <laughs> I will compete with you over anything. I mean, <laughs> hell, me, Cody, and Alex have been competing over what quarter bets over how fast somebody can get a beer, or who's gonna win the <laughs> next, who's gonna win the next round of Mortal Kombat 10. I mean, we've or you know. What time is what time is X person going to show up? Right, we've been competing over that for the last three days, but it's just because we're competitive in nature. I mean, and I think that's probably why we're drawn to games and gaming. Yeah, and the same holds true for other people. But that at the means. same time, we have we have figured out a way to channel that in a different kind of way. Yes, yeah. and there, and not everybody can kind of at first blush. Right, I mean, and and that's not that's not saying it's an us versus them in any way, shape, or form. I okay, mean, I just wanted to make sure we we that we were on the same page about that. Okay, we're on the same yeah. page because I, I admittedly missed a couple of minutes of discussion while I was away from the computer. So. Well, I think your point was the entire point of the discussion that was happening. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of that if you are drawn to games purely because you are competitive, you're. I mean, you you could you know it's it's likely that you could be prone to aggression and other things too. A lot of people are drawn to games because of the cerebral challenge as well and the competitiveness. Yeah, and the narratives. So and the stories and everything else. But <laughs> if people are drawn to the games just because they want to win, so they play those games with that distinct win-loss kind of mechanic or framework, and I, they, can, I think that, they can bring that out into the argument as well. That speaks to what Cody was talking about when you bring in the rhetoric of, uh, like, I was oppressed, so... Hang on. Um, can you mute? 
Um, if you if you feel like you're lacking in something, it can be comforting then to have something that which you can win. Um, and that can lead to other issues. And maybe some desperation in protecting that one thing that you can win at, or you feel that you can win at. But gosh, when are we going to, I don't know, get past that? Because it, that culture is not the same anymore. Never, because in America, everyone wins a trophy. Oh, shut Even up, Terry. last place wins a trophy. Shut your mouth. I'm so tired of hearing that bullshit. I mean, he has a point. <laughs> I don't know. See, I'm not I mean, saying that they should. I'm saying that right now they do. Yeah. My professor last night was saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. His girls placed like eight out of eight teams, That's and they true. they right. got the same size trophy as all the way up to third place did. Yeah. All third through eighth got got the identical trophy. Well, go get a job and try to get the same job as everybody else just because you exist. Well, it's not going to happen. But that's where some of it comes from, though. I think. Yeah, there's been a, like a sense of entitlement to winning, at least for gamers who consider themselves the best at gaming. You know, yeah. They don't want to let go of that sense that they should be winning. I'm, I'm going to say this and get myself in trouble, but we, we see that same... I, I, and I don't know that this is where it comes from, though, is the, is the trophy thing. And, I, and I'm not agreeing or disagreeing or, or, or anything, but I, I wonder where it does come from because we see the same mentality... In classrooms, right, where students show up, they're like, "Well, I came to class every day, so I got to get at least a C, right? Even though I didn't turn in anything, or what I did turn in, I failed everything, but I came to class every day, so I get it, <laughs> and I paid for it, so I get a C, right? Right? So really, I get my students want A's for that because <laughs> they came to class every day. But there's yeah. a very specific kind of sense of entitlement that comes along with this. And I don't know where it comes from. Because, oh, okay, I'm the oldest person on this podcast. Yes, barely. I know Charlotte, barely. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's no way in hell, when I was 18, 19, 20, 25 fucking years old, that I thought I deserved an A or a B or even a C simply because I, I was I didn't even think that when I went back to, I didn't even graduate until I was 32. And I didn't think that then. I didn't certainly didn't think it when I started my master's program. Mm-hmm. You know, funnily um, enough, I never felt that way in things that I wasn't very good at. Like, I didn't have that just generic entitlement, like, oh, I'm, I showed up for math class, give me an A. I expected to get, like, a real bad grade there. But in the things I was good at, I was always extraordinarily angry if I didn't get, like, the very best score because I assumed clearly I was better than everybody else. I learned eventually <laughs> that was wrong. Um, it took a while. It took a lot of pain and a seven-year well, hiatus from school. I do think there's a difference there, and, and this is really back to, to Terry's point, because when I was a, a kid, everybody didn't get a trophy, and now they do. And when, when I was in school, I don't think everybody, even at 32, I don't think everybody felt like they deserved an A or just had to come to class or whatever. But I do see, I do see that. Now. It, it is, it is, it is a fact. It happens. Yeah. It's, um, it's like the movement for uh, a lot of schools to get rid of red pens because the red ink marked as an X on the wrong answer can, you know, make a student feel bad. Well, you know, God forbid we let them know that they have a wrong answer, 
Pedagogically and theoretically, Terry, I'm going to date this for you. Pedagogically and theoretically, <laughs> they've actually been saying that for about 30 years now. Well, that's old. old. <laughs> that's old. It's just making it. It's just making it out of universities and into um, secondary and, and, and elementary schools. Well, in the universities, universities have been doing it in writing classes for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's just making its way out of the university and into some of the lower. Um, I've, I've, some of the I've lower never not had a red pen marked on my paper. That's anecdotal evidence. Sit down. Instead, you use a blue pen instead, and 30 years from now they'll be going, "Why do we use blue pens? That's so sad." All of my well, edits sad because they're bad. Whereas red is. is the first time I ran into a non-red pen was in my master's program, and they explained to me that you were going to use. A green pen, so that we didn't feel bad. And instead, all, all I saw was green all over my paper. <laughs> it didn't help anything? <laughs> it was. A, it was. It's supposed to be the stigma that's associated with it. And well, I, I use purple. And it, but it's still it's still all over your paper. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> whatever the hell's on my desk when I write paper. So it's not the color; it's the amount and type of exactly. Right. Yes. yes. If it's all over the paper, it doesn't matter what color. That's well, just bad grading. <laughs> but my point is not the color of the pen. My point is that I do feel like there is a certain expectation of. Uh, I don't even know what this has to do with our conversation anymore. Well, because we're talking about expectations and privilege and entitlement, right? And that some of this anger may come from entitlement, right? I am entitled to, in the same way that I'm entitled to an A if I pay for this class and come to class, I'm entitled to enjoy my game without some social justice warrior coming along and saying, okay, yeah, it's a fun game, but there are problematic, there are problematic all right, all right, representations of women and but, right. but, but I, don't, I don't get it. So I'm going to take this away from, for myself for a minute to Legos, okay? So last year, I think it was last year, they came out with the Lego Research Institute, which is the one with the women scientists, right? Yes. Yeah. Obviously, I love this set because of what it represents, right? Um, and I have it, and it's not opened, and that's, you know, whatever. So the other day I was reading a review of it. I don't know why. And um, it was a pretty harsh review. And I, for for a moment, I got sort of you know annoyed because I'm like, well, wait. <laughs> and I I, I kind of feel like this is where some of the gamer gators come from. But then I stopped and thought, well, I mean, they're not even reviewing it on what it what it is, what it symbolizes to me. They're, they're just reviewing it on its, I don't know, value as a Lego set in general. Like, does it does it have a lot of good pieces? Does it play well? Mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't. And that's not the point of it. And that's fine. And I can I can live with that. I can live with that people don't love the set that I love. So I don't know. I was thinking about that when Patrick was talking about comfort, which gets and, us away from entitlement. Yeah, and that's why I but. think that the entitlement argument is an easy one, and it's not enough. Yeah. Um, and I feel like sometimes when it gets made and we start talking about, well, now everybody gets a trophy, so that's the root of all the problems. Mm. We don't keep going. Yeah. And I want to keep going because I don't think it's enough because exactly what you described right there, Charlotte, we all feel that for just a moment, just a moment when somebody rags on something we love. I think that we're, there's that moment of defensiveness where we're like, man, how dare you? Yeah. But then right. most of us, some of us at least, then say, well, fuck that guy. 
I, I'm gonna go watch that movie again. I'm gonna go play that game again, and I'm gonna love the shit out of it, regardless of that review. And exactly. You'll look at your Lego set, and you'll be like, I love that because it's awesome. But there's something that stops some people from making that step, and they stay in that space where they're just pissed off, as though somebody else's statement has now forever impacted their enjoyment of the thing. And that's not right. just entitlement. That's something else. Exactly. That's, and that's what I just don't get. It's like, I don't care if somebody doesn't like this set. Whatever. I have it. I love it. So what is it? I don't know. <laughs> this is... Yeah. I feel like this is the, the big disconnect between what we do and what gamer gators feel like people who do similar work as we do because... We say, you know, we critique, and that shouldn't detract from your enjoyment because critique is not attack, et cetera, et cetera. And they go, no implementation of racial quotas. And, you know, all these things that were like, who the fuck even said that? Wait, what? <laughs> like, nobody's, nobody's, like, taking pitchforks as social justice warriors and saying, like, holding them up to the necks of developers and saying, like, race back this game or we're going to fucking skewer you. It's, we're just like, hey, you know, you could have thought about this too and that would make the game more palatable and acceptable and fun and critical and all of these things for a wider audience. And that's not at all what gamer gators see. And so I'm wondering, like, not are they just straw manning social justice warriors? Where are they seeing this? What, like, there's something happening because there is some disconnect between what people like, you know, everybody in this podcast and on the blog do, and what most gamer gators verbally rebel against, disregarding the fact that they also turn around and attack the people on this right. podcast for fair critiques. But I feel like a lot of what the gamer gators, like, you know, really rage against is the is stuff that you're not even doing. You, you know, cuphead aside and the stuff that... You know, <laughs> I don't want to like push it aside because it's it's not important because it is. Right. But I feel like what they're most vocal about is the stuff we don't even well, do. I, I don't think Cuphead aside. I think Cuphead at the center Cup, of that. Well, that's because what, I meant. what Sam. Like, so like literally, that's the perfect example of what you're talking about because Sam was talking about. Uh, she li like literally was like, "This is a visceral reaction I had. This evoked these emotions in me personally. Personally, right. yeah. holy shit." That like law, and then like talked about some research and talked about some reasons why she felt that way, and the response was fucking insane. I have a lot of screen caps of deleted comments. I'm sorry, Alicia, what were you saying? I was just saying I have a lot of screen caps of deleted comments that will never see the light of day. Oh, that's but that's just what I mean. Like you give a very fair, well nuanced, balanced critique, and somehow it gets reacted to as though it's this like scathing indictment of this, you know, and, and like indemnification, which is not mm -hmm. all what it is. And I'm, I'm just wondering what's going on in the middle there that's shifting it from balanced and nuanced and like inter, you know, introspective critique to to what they're reacting against so vehemently. Most people that consume all this internet content, they they aren't educated. They're reading on the fly. Maybe they're on their mobile phones while they're driving down the road, or, or they just see some headlines or some you know headlines or tweets. They don't read the actual article. They just 
go off what other people have said. Back to Twitter being you know, a durable medium for... I, uh, I just recently, today, earlier, to refresh for this, read up on all the, the gamers are dead things. And, I mean, nobody ever said that nonsense anywhere. And there's no reason that that got picked up and carried off with. And the only reason why I did is because nobody actually read the stuff that, you know, the loudest group of people that were talking about that didn't actually read it. And if they read it, they didn't understand it. And they just started spouting off in their ignorance. And that's, that's the biggest problem. I think I agree with you on that a little bit because, I mean, that's one of the things I think we run into is is we, we get people who leave comments and we're like, this person apparently didn't even read what we said because they are saying something totally counter to what it is we've actually said. I mean, and I know that, yeah, people will say, well, you're okay, you're an academic, maybe they don't understand what you say, but we kind of go out of our way to make sure that our content is accessible to people outside of the academy as well as inside of the academy. And, you know, we've got tons of folks who read that are not in the academy um, who seem to understand what we're saying quite well, but then you have another group of folks who is so busy just waiting for someone to tell them what what we have written says rather than reading it for themselves. And I think I think you're right. I think that's a huge problem. Maybe that's why videos have become so much more attractive. PSA, donate to our Kickstarter. <laughs> Most of their exposure to this kind of stuff could just come from like synopses written by someone else that oh, puts in only what they want to see. I mean, you could, you know, you read this little blurbs on Netflix and, you know, you're like, oh, you choose to like or not like a movie based on, you know, that or what's on the back cover of a book. So that little bit of language is very important. And whoever writes that can control who is exposed to it. Right. I mean, and we've, and we've talked before about, like, some of the some of the folks who are, are, I won't say figureheads in the movement, but are the interpreters for the movement, right? And, and it's obvious, even when you listen to some of them, that they haven't read the stuff, or at least haven't comprehended the stuff that they're actually talking about and speaking out against. I mean, and it's kind of disheartening and uh, astounding at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Because then we're back to what Terry said earlier, is that a lot of what we do gets read by people who are already leaning that way, or at least have the tools and the wherewithal to read what we're saying and to say, well, that's really interesting, but you know, what about this, 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 and let's consider it that way, and then we have a discussion and everybody moves on. Um, but that's not, I don't know, that's not maybe the impact that we want. We Shit, now I'm really gone. sad. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this was a terrible idea for a show. What was I thinking? <laughs> Apparently, apparently, but you know, and I, but it, it does, it goes back to, you know what, maybe we just 
need to keep doing what we're doing. Um, well, not maybe, but we definitely need to keep doing what we're doing because it's not just spitting into the wind. Um, one, we do seem to still from time to time reach other folks. Two, if nothing else, we also give folks who otherwise wouldn't have a voice, a voice. And I think that that's really important. Not I think I know. So, I mean, yeah. That was depressing. Thanks, Alicia. I mean, we gave Patrick a voice, so I guess that's a bonus. <laughs> I mean, it, it's important to keep doing what you're doing. It is very important. But it's also important to not stand on the same street corner every day because then the people that you need to reach that you know don't agree with that, they're going to be like, avoid that spot. And other people are going to listen to them because they're standing around the water cooler. They may be like, maybe like the traffic sucks there. And it has nothing to do with the traffic, but they'll be like, I don't want to go there. I could be late for work. So they'll go around it. They'll listen to this other nonsense going on. Yeah. You've got to get out there and, you know, get everywhere. That started out as a super supportive husband, and then it went somewhere else, back to the depressing place. <laughs> and I mean, you guys, you know, you, you're making videos, and, you know, tweeting and stuff, and but a lot of people, they just stay on their site and just yeah. blog, and that that's not going to help anyone because the only people that are going to read that are people that already agree with them. That's why I wonder if it's productive to criticize our allies and bullets us. I think... Like, I know that's not what we're doing, and, and there's productive and unproductive ways to support groups like ours. But I, I, I think we should be careful, which we are, I guess, being. But I don't know. I was going to say, do you think we're... Well, uh, see, I'm, I'm, I have problems with that language, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but, but can I point out how much we've all disagreed with each other tonight, and yet... No we one do, I done. mean, it has, but it's true. Well, and which language? language? Let's hear it. What, what, what language, then? I, I, when you, when you, you said we should, what did you say? We should be careful. Um, and I'm, I'm not down for being careful, because I'm not down for hedging. But if, if what Terry said is true, and that if, if we just keep screaming to our own choir that people aren't going to hear us, then don't we need allies? I don't, I guess I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Just trying to play out the rest of the argument. Oh, I think we definitely need allies. Um, In what capacity? Huh? In what capacity? I think we need allies to um, help forward the cause. I, I can certainly recall some occasions, Sam, in which you have directed us to be careful about criticizing. <laughs> What have you been careful to be criticizing? Uh, that's a discussion for another day. Um, but that's, but that's, no, that's something different. That is something different. I'm missing it. I don't get it. 
Well, no, you and I had this discussion there, earlier. You know exactly there, what I'm talking there are about. Line, I guess what, what you're saying is that we have to draw those lines in different ways in different situations. Exactly. It is a, it's a, it's a, it's an issue of Kairos. It's an issue of, of what happens in the moment, when it happens, who it happens to, and who it happens for. Right? Uh, we have to, there are times that we have to be cognizant, not necessarily careful, of what is going on around us when we make certain choices and what we say and what we do. Um, but I don't think that walking on eggshells so as not to offend someone and have allies run off, because true allies are not going to run off. Right? They're not going to say, well... I didn't say walking on eggshells, I just... Well, I'm I'm not I'm just saying I, I that that language for me just kind of brings up that image. Being careful. When you say we have to be careful of what we say, that makes me think. I would hate to send the message that you're not welcome here because you're not saying things exactly how we want or we're not you know whatever. I mean, but that never happens. I mean, shit, because we disagree all the time. As I mean, has been has been kind of uh, apparent tonight, right? So I mean, so I don't. But it does that. happen a lot. I mean, that's part of of call out culture, um, which is very prevalent. It, it, that it leads to a lot of people saying, "Well, you said this or that that wasn't said the right way." So now there's this whole group that's going to move against you. And that can be useful sometimes to help pull somebody into thinking more carefully about their language or considering more the impact of what they're saying or how they're engaging, but can also be very damaging because it can end up silencing people who might be otherwise on your side. So it's, uh, it's and it, a it mind gives, ground. It, and it gives people and then and it gives people the opportunity to feel like they're justified in their outrage or their anger, right? But it also at the same time doesn't take into consideration, not always, sometimes it doesn't take into consideration who the other person speaking that they've been outraged by, who they are or, or where they come from, right? Yeah, I mean, because, you know, everybody knows, you know, there's always that, that whole stereotype of the angry black woman. Um, and I speak in a very specific way, and I'm, I tend to be very matter-of-fact. And some people automatically read that as, oh, she's angry, she's angry at me, so I'm going to be angry at her. And I'm not angry at you, brother. We're one goddamn. Um, but if you read it like that, you automatically say, oh, well, you know, she made me, she was angry at me, and she hurt my feelings, so I'm just going to go and I'm going to do something else. You know what? Fuck you. Then maybe you should. But at yeah. the same time... You have to understand that a lot of what goes into that for a lot of different people, and we've, we've had this conversation before, how you and I, as, like, say, Alex and I can say, and Alex, you're really good for doing it, can say the exact same thing to the exact same person in the exact same way, and they will read me one way and read you in a totally different way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you I, can't tell me that race has nothing to do with that. And I, and I guess, like, what what I like really find positive about what you're saying is, or not what you're saying, but like what we're doing is like, rather than sitting here critiquing all the fucked up ways white guys have tried to help out 
whatever cause. <laughs> players. We're talking about productive ways that really cool people have been really good fucking allies. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I, I, I think that that's, that's um, a, a great, I don't know, interesting way to go about it. But, uh, but yes, if anybody, well, we won't share screenshots, but that's been happening for years. <laughs> oh, yeah. I imagine Terry and Alicia are like totally trash talking right now. Since no, oh, no, but I am considering that I should hit him at least twice for each time he said the word crazy tonight. Oh. Damn, what do you Don't hit him. <laughs> no, he did good. <laughs> and he was babysitting our daughter the whole time too, the one who refuses to go to sleep, so double duty. There you go. On that note, so um guests, wonderful guests. Do you have anything else to throw in? Things that you want to say that, you know, as because you we talk a lot around here <clears throat> that you didn't get a chance to say because we never shut up. I think they went to sleep. Sure. <laughs> there's a, no, there's a lot of things, I guess, that, that I would say, but I, I guess I argue better walking back and forth when I'm making supper than in something structured like a podcast. I mean, you know from whenever I took your class that that I don't I don't really speak up until the you know the end. <laughs> so you know, if you wanted to go until like four, I probably wouldn't shut up. But there we go. But I can't go until four. So. No, <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> Anybody else? I guess wrestling with something super deep. No, it's it's not. It's super <laughs> superficial and and not at all in the same vein as what minorities and women and LGBT and everybody face. But like, I just I think it the the need like I think so Patrick. Uh, and and uh, Terry and I at the start of the podcast talked about like why we felt the need to be allies and speak out. Cody's changed his mind. I keep think I changed my mind. Yeah. And <laughs> fuck you guys. Game game for life. <laughs> no, I just I keep thinking about like all of these moments I've had in my gaming history where because of my you know racially ambiguous gamer handle when I've mercilessly crushed somebody in a sportsman-like way, uh, and they've gotten salty and, and, you know, just angry about it, they've, like, verbally lashed out with racial epithets that don't apply at all. I'm like, are you... I'm, I'm a white boy from fucking, you know, upper Midwest. I... What? <laughs> what? And there's been articles just, about that where guys get female just, avatars and they're like, it just is this what you guys face every day? And so, like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It makes perfect sense why you... Why... I'm, this is what I've been wrestling with, and she prompted me into speaking before it was formed. It doesn't make sense to me why people are so angry about... about my race, perceived race, while I'm playing, and I totally get because of what I've been exposed to. I haven't suffered at all because I don't give a shit what they say to me because I'm not. It, it doesn't matter, and I don't face it all that frequently, and it doesn't apply. All those reasons and more, but it 
really drives it home that shit. If I were this race, or you know, if it were more visible and I were more exposed to this, why would I want to play this game? His name's Tang, by the way. Well, can I throw something out there? I think what might be interesting is that you wonder why. Um, you wonder why. The thing is, I think anyway, is that people go to racial epithets and um, epithets about, you know, uh, uh, like women. Women are, you know, it's like, oh, you're a bitch or, you know, you're a slut or you're all these things, right? They go to those things specifically because in their minds, that is the absolute worst thing that they can call you is mm -hmm. a minority or a woman. And so that is the ultimate insult. Well, that's a lovely world. Yeah. Uh, if I can tack on to that, too, speaking of that competitive mindset, I grew up mostly friends with guys, did mostly quote-unquote guy stuff, which is how I became a gamer, really. Um, and I played, I didn't play Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, Patrick, but I played the shit out of some magic and competitive magic, too. Yeah. Uh, and I was exposed to a lot of stuff in person before I ever joined any kind of online gaming service. And then I got a lot more, and it just made me matter mm. because that fired my competitive instinct. Like, you will never make me leave this hobby now. Like, if that's the way you feel about me, you will never make me leave. So there are some of us who are just stubbornly here regardless of whether we're wanted or not. <laughs> we don't give a shit. Right. Well, and, and I think that's, like, you know, I think that really speaks to it, not just from a competitive nature, um, but also from the level of engagement that good games have. It's not... You know, when I say, I, I said flippantly that, like, why would you deal with this? But people do all the time, and that's because games are fucking great. Like, yeah, they are. there's some black magic in, in, <laughs> in games. There's some, you know, something going on. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, that's really gripping and compelling. I say black magic because I think that was the term that Ian Bogos used. I don't uh -huh. say, like, juju and voodoo because that's all racially charged. There's something magical going on in games that grips us and holds us in the face of adversity, in the face of people who are asshats and prejudiced and ignorant and, you know, walking bags of, you know, all sorts of awful things that mm -hmm. I'll try to be polite on, you know, this wrap-up about. Um, and games are so good that people will put up with that, even, which is all to the benefit of, you know, saying how great games are. It's just the communities and the people who are making those games that are perpetuating the stereotypes and all of the institutional politics and, you know, issues surrounding all of that that we're trying to critique to make it better so that all of the people who are playing it because it's so great in the face of that adversity can better appreciate it. I don't know, that seemed ranty. It was pretty ranty. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I support it. Patrick, we haven't heard from you in a while. Well, I did want to add to that a little bit, because I think I, I read a, a post wrote, written by a, a Gator uh, recently who was writing about how you know he was bullied and how he you know grew up and realized that bullies aren't the, aren't, you know, don't really have power or whatever, and he sees that anti, he's anti-Gators as bullies. And, you know, he was kind of, that was partially his message, was that, like, you can't let bullies get to you. 
um, and that you know you you can you know get past bullies and still enjoy things. But I think what part of what is missed there is that you can accept for yourself that bullies can't hurt you, but you can change that about yourself, but you can't change how other people are going to still project onto you, and you can't change how people are still going to be shitty to you and threaten you and you know make that violence a real force in your life, that threat of violence a real force in your life. And so it's not just, you know, games are worth it, but I don't think that we as gamers have to get used to abuse uh, or, or um, you know, being made fun of as part of games Right? We don't have to put up with that. We shouldn't have to. And that's part of why, you know, we need yep. to uh, continue doing you gotta need to do the, continue to do the work that you're doing here, especially. Well and that's exactly it. Like you've realized you're an adult and that bullies, you know, don't bullies critiques don't matter to you. Good job. Have a fucking cookie. That doesn't mean <laughs> that everybody else it has reached that same level of zen and can just ignore bullies, especially when they're publishing your fucking address and making threats against you and your family. Like, yeah. that's not the same level of bullying. If you can't right? tell, Cody is responding to some to some talks today at GLS who were like, yeah, it's cool, just ignore it. Like, no, no. <laughs> I'm responding to Patrick well, who's I, responding to yeah. that Reddit. No, no, no. Right? I, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Cody is informed yeah. by. It's also like, yeah. I agree with you, Cody. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. The, the bullying of calling you racist or misogynist or whatever is not the same as here's your address. I have a K bar. I'm going to cut you a new hole and rape you in it. Like, that's the level of fucking violence. And that's not the same as, hey, how about some more black people or people of color or. Women yeah. or anything in this game—that's—they're completely different worlds. Can the women just be dressed? And and yeah. it's, it's to to put them on the same like level is so cognitively warped and dissonant that I I it's just I I don't know. And the the whole well just ignore it. I do because I was bullied as a you know person who liked games as a small white boy. Fuck you. <laughs> I mean, that's not the proper and tactical, you know, response to find and solicit. Okay. But that's not the same goddamn thing. No, it's not. He said it so well. It's not the same thing. It is not, not the same thing. It's also, well, what one thing that doesn't get discussed that often is it's not just like one person tweeting at you and saying, you're an idiot because you wrote this review. It's like 400 people all at once, and then 25 other people like, I got your address, and then 10 people going, you should just fucking kill yourself right now and save the world the trouble. And it's this avalanche that falls down on your head, and for some people out there, it's never-ending. We've actually been pretty lucky in this regard, but for some people, it's nonstop. Yeah. And that's not something you can just ignore. Not if like you want to use the internet. Address you can't ignore. No. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's interesting, right? Because, I mean, it, it is, like you said, it's ongoing. So you get 400 people, and then you block those 400 people. And then they're like, oh, so let's go on our little forums and get 400 other people who this person hasn't blocked yet to go in and, and jump in their mentions and jump all over them for the same thing we jumped all over them for or got blocked for, right? And then they wonder why stuff like GG Autoblocker exists. We don't use GG Autoblocker yet. Yet. Right? Yeah. But the thing is, is that it's easy to see why people do. Yeah. Yep. Don't stop me from stopping. Like, don't oppress me while I'm oppressing you. Like, <laughs> exactly. That's basically an argument. Suck speech is free oh than God. others, apparently. I don't yeah. need to start with on this because I've written so much about like, the fact that the blocker is not censorship that if, you, if I start, I will not stop and we will be here until 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> or I will be at least just yap it into the headset. <laughs> On that note, thank you for a very interesting and, and difficult conversation uh, to uh, to our guests and to our regular hosts. Um, it's been it's been real. I think it's definitely something that needed to be discussed, um, and I've enjoyed discussing it. I don't know about everybody else. I'm really glad you guys came on. I am sufficiently angry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm very grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks. <laughs> and you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Creepy <laughs> dog. Uh, My nightmares. husband, everybody. I married him. Nightmares tonight. <laughs> He's back with the creepy doll. <laughs> Yay. All right. So on that note, that brings us to the end of the 105th episode of the Not Your Mama's Gamer podcast. So until next time when we have episode 106, which is going to be a big one and a fun one, and we're not going to tell you what it is. You just have to wait. <laughs> um, so until then... Stay cool. Drink free beer. <laughs> I think and, actually, um, though, I think we have to say stay warm a little bit because it's um, cold here. Oh uh, well, stay 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 warm if you're there. Apparently, <laughs> drink free beer. And as always, my friends, game on. Game on. On. Game on. Thank you.